You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 536 for November 4th, 2020. On today's show, pianist and vocalist Champion Fulton. This show exists because listeners become members. Please become one today for $5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Champion Fulton's new album is a tribute to Charlie Parker on the occasion of the 100th year since his birth. It's called Birdsong. Just friends, lovers no more. Just friends, but not like before. Of what we've been And not to kiss again Seems like pretending It isn't the ending Champion Fulton, welcome back to the Jazz Session. Hi, Jason. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to chatting today. Me too. Uh, with this interview, you are now in the club of people who've been on the main show three times, and you've also been on a bonus episode, so you may hold the title of the person who's done the most jazz session audio in some form. Uh, in the main show, there's a little group of people who've been on three times, but I f- you might be the only four-time person that I've that I've interviewed. So if that's the case, congratulations on what can only be described as a minor honor. <laughs> In no, your life, <laughs> but there it is. It's a real honor. It's a real honor. I love, <laughs> I love your show, and I think you really are one of the best interviewers in the jazz business. So it's, it's great. Well, thank I love you. It. I will repay that compliment with another, which is uh, we're here to talk about Birdsong, a uh, brand new record in honor of uh, Charlie Parker's uh, centenary. And I have to say, I think this may be my favorite Champion Fulton album. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so glad. I adore this record. And I've only had it for a limited amount of time, uh, but I have listened to it a ton in that limited amount of time. And I just think it's perfect. I don't think there's anything you could put in. I don't think there's anything you could take out. I just think it is... It's it's fabulous. I think some of the tunes, and I mean this in the most complimentary way uh, you could imagine, I think some of the, the tunes, particularly the ballads, are like the most... Billy Holiday esque champion. In other words, like getting right to the emotional core of the songs through your singing. Uh, I just, I just think it's fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I mean, that I, it, it means a lot to hear it from you. And I have to say, I feel also that it might be. It, it's definitely in the top three of of my records for myself too. I, I was very happy with the way it turned out. It's certainly possible to have an album that celebrates Charlie Parker without having a saxophonist on it, but uh, it's, I think, 
better to have one. <laughs> and uh, you, when uh, when you picked one, you really didn't mess around uh, getting just a, a giant of uh, the tenor saxophone, Scott Hamilton, on this record. And I know that this uh, partnership kind of came out of originally performing live together, right? Can you talk about that, how you two got together? Yeah, you know, I met Scott, I think, in 2017 in Europe, because I go to Europe quite frequently, or you know, I, I was going to Europe quite frequently, and Scott uh, lives over there. So I, we would see each other, and our agents started kind of putting us together. We made another record together that was live, and then we just became friends because uh, we like the same music. We actually share the same birthday, and we were sort of talking a lot, and I said, let's make a record together. And it was funny because we decided to make a record together months before I decided that it was going to be a Charlie Parker record. So it was like the idea of doing something with Scott came first. And then I was like, hey, it's like going to be 2020. You know, it's Bird's birthday. You know, we should do that. And of course, Scott loves Charlie Parker, too. So he was like, yeah, good idea. So it's kind of funny that it happened that way. When it comes to playing the music of Charlie Parker, obviously the the repertoire is enormous because, first of all, there's all of the great tunes that he himself wrote, and then there's all of the tunes that he made some of the definitive statements on. How did you go about narrowing that down to what's on the album? Well, I have a lot of favorites, which is kind of how the list started, and honestly, a little bit how the list ended, because like I just love Just Friends. I mean, I love Bird with Strings, and that's, you know, I just, that cut is so iconic to me. It's my favorite thing, and I thought, I want to record that. Same with This Is Always and Star Eyes. And then some of the other tunes, like Quasimodo, I've always loved, but I never learned. And I was like, this is a good opportunity, because I didn't want it to be, I didn't want the record to be the same Bird songs. You know, like, he has some that everyone associates so quickly with Confirmation. Um, you know, Dewey Square, Ornithology, and I thought I wanted to be just a little bit different. I wonder what it is for you about uh, birds playing that attracts you. And I know that there's a, a whole history, which we talked about in a previous episode, um, you know, of how you were raised from literally before you came out of the womb. But can you talk about in the time when you've had your own musical decisions to make, how what attracts you about about birds music? Of course, I do have this history, so I do have this positive association with his music, which is already very powerful, sort of like nostalgic thing, because I think it reminds me very much of my childhood and, and 
falling in love with jazz. That's already very positive. But then also, I mean, I listen, I listen to, to jazz all the time. I listen to the radio. I, you know, I put my Spotify on shuffle, whatever. And every time Bird comes on, it's like no matter how great everyone else sounds. Like I'm, like, I'm listening to Dexter Gordon. I'm like, yeah, Dexter, you know, great. Oh, yeah, Ellington and then Johnny Hodges. Oh, so good. And then Bird comes on, and it's just, to me, more powerful. Like he just, there's this connection with his sound. As soon as it starts playing, I'm just like, wow. Like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> you know, it's silly to say, but it just really moves me. And it, it instantly instills me with, like, good feelings whenever I hear Charlie Parker. And I think that's in some ways why it's so special that people keep recording his music, because it allows us to kind of step into that sound world a little bit, like on this record, where certainly we're not hearing Bird, but we're hearing another, you know, masterful saxophonist. We're hearing you. We're hearing a, a great band. Uh, just, you know, reinterpret this in a, a modern recording setting. And it, it, particularly on this album is incredibly well recorded. I think it really it really allows us to get into the richness of what's happening in some of these performances. Thank you. I definitely wanted to give, you know, the spirit of Bird's music as best I could. You know, the feeling that he gives me, I, I certainly want to give to other people. I will say, I do think the record is so well recorded. Um, Mike Marciano, who has done so many of my records, he used to be at Systems too. And uh, now he's at Samurai Studios here in New York. And he really understands how to get the voice and the piano, which is sort of tricky because I like to record, you know, simultaneously, just like I perform. So I play and sing at the same time. And that can really be difficult for some engineers because you don't get isolation. And he's just, he's so good at it. And I think, uh, this is. I, I also thought the Christmas record that I did with him had a great uh, warmth to it. But I think even here, I, I can tell he really loved Scott playing because the saxophone sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> Does that put more pressure on you too? Since the vocals and the piano aren't isolated, you have to get a good take of both at the same time, right? For for it to go onto the record. Yes, exactly. So um, no, it doesn't put more pressure on me because that's just how I do everything all the time. So that's the natural, that's the natural state for me. And in fact, if I do it separately, it's so weird because then you, you know, you, you play one track and then maybe you play the piano first and then you try to sing. And, but by the time you sing, you know, you feel a little different. So you're like, Oh, that, I didn't like that piano, you know, or something. And it's very odd. So when I do it at the same time, I feel much more comfortable, but it's always when I tell an engineer, that's how we're going to do it. They're like, really? <laughs> Are you, are you sure? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm sure. You know, are you sure? Let's take a quick break from the interview so I can remind you about membership. There are two membership levels, $5 a month, at which you get early access to most shows. You also get the Track of the Week, a weekly bonus episode where someone, either me or an artist, tells you about a track that they like or have just released. At $10 a month, you get all that, plus you get an extra monthly bonus episode, which could be just about anything. You can become a member today for 5 or 10 bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode.
coming back to the idea of the list of songs for this album, uh, you mentioned that, you know, certainly a lot of it is based on your own personal uh, taste on the definitive bird tunes for you. Um, Will you talk about uh, whatever conversations you and Scott might have had about putting this list together? Yeah, it's funny because um, last August, I went to do some work, some performances and some teaching in Tuscany in the town where he lives. And so that was kind of our last meeting to go over the list and talk about the record. And he basically just loved all the tunes. You know, my lists start out so huge. So they start out at like 50 songs and then maybe they go to 30 and then maybe we get down to 20 and but they, really we need 10 or 12. And he, he liked everything, but we, we played a few, you know, we, we practiced, rehearsed a little bit in August and I could really hear, you know, sometimes even if a musician won't say they love a song, you can tell when they play, oh yeah, that's like that, that's a song they really like. And um, I felt that way, really, especially about Dearly Beloved on the record, because, you know, Bird only recorded that once, and it's in a ballad medley with other people, so it's not a song so closely related or associated with him, but it's a beautiful performance, and of course, uh, I just thought Scott sounded like he really loved that song, so I definitely wanted to like put that on the list. Other things just worked out organically in the same way, like we just started playing a lot of Bird tunes last summer with my band here in New York, and I would just you know, after the gig, I think, oh, wow, I could tell the guys really liked, you know, for Quasimodo, for instance, they really liked that. And I thought, oh, yeah, that'll be a good one, you know, because you, you want to highlight the band. Well, you've provided me with a segue I would be a fool not to take. Will you mention the band? Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, it's my, my regular band, which has now been with me for quite some time. That's Hide Tanaka on bass, and Fukushi Tainaka on drums, and Stephen Fulton on the vocal horn, in addition to myself and Scott as special guest. And, you know, this is a, the, the clichédest cliché ever, but a working band just makes all the difference. Yeah, and I have to say, last year, which was 2019, um, even though that feels very long ago, but uh, we had a very good year. Like, we, we were very busy and working a lot out of town and then also uh, working a lot in town. So we were able to really play together a lot and work these tunes out organically you know, just naturally. And when I say that, I mean naturally, like just on a gig, you know, play it. And then we even were rehearsing once a week or so uh, when we were in town. And, you know, Hide would come and say, oh, I have an idea for an arrangement. Stephen would say, I have an idea for an arrangement. So things just came together really naturally. That to me is what your eyes are Soft as stars in April skies are Tell me someday you'll fulfill Their promise of a thrill Star eyes Flashing eyes in which my hopes rise Let me show you where my heart lies Let me prove that it adores That loveliness of yours To stargaze at the skies Now I only want to melt the stardust in your eyes Stars you know, it's impossible uh, to record an interview in this time and not mention the fact that there's a pandemic going on and that uh, live performances have 
uh, live performances in person have, uh, you know, all but ceased, although there was some stuff coming back in the summertime. You, however, you're one of the people, at least as far as I've seen on social media, who has kept up, as far as I can tell, the the most regular uh, performance regimen, even during the pandemic. I mean, just finding ways to bring people in digitally through live stream performances. In any case, it seems like you've kept incredibly busy and kept yourself out in front of uh, of your fans, which is awesome. Yeah, we've been, um, so I have my regular weekly show, which is called Live from Lockdown, um, on Sundays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Facebook and YouTube. It's free, and it's every week. We're currently at 32 weeks of live streaming. Um, and that's, it started out, sometimes it was me by myself, um, but it's, it's become now basically me and my father, Stephen, every Sunday. And then we did some, also some special online concerts. I did one with the whole band with Birdland. Um, and we've done a lot of online things. And in addition to that, I think we had six in-person gigs this summer outside, of course, which was, uh, we ran the gamut from like a hundred degrees when we started in July to, we just played a gig a few weeks ago and it was about 45. And I was like, I think wow. this is as cold as I can go. I can't go below 50 <laughs> <laughs> because it is cold. I mean, that's no. awesome though, that you've been able to, to build such a regular, performance schedule and it seems like you got on to that very quickly when it became apparent that there weren't going to be in-person gigs anymore yes so back in march you know it is it was shaping up to be a very busy year and i was getting ready to go to europe i think for six weeks in april um i had a few solo piano concerts i was starting to do more solo piano concerts here domestically i was very excited about that Everybody was, we were busy. I was busy January, February. And then uh, in March, I remember I played my last gig on March 13th. And the lockdowns, I think, happened either the 13th or the 15th. And then everything was canceled. And I was very sad, to say the least. (laughs) And I was really panicking just about what's happening, what's going to happen, you know, all these gigs. And everybody was, uh, all the other musicians were panicking too. You know, I was here and Nick said, Nick, my boyfriend, he said, why don't you do a live stream and, you know, see how everyone's doing, like see how your audience is doing. And I said, okay. Uh, And we did the first live stream on March 18th. And it was just, it was so fun (laughs) to say, like, that's why I started doing it because it gave me this fun thing to do every week. I really miss talking to people. I'm very social. And so having an hour where I play and like interacted with comments for, uh, you know, an hour once a week just made me feel a little more normal. And uh, we just started doing it. And then in some weeks I would do two and then people started calling me to do things for them, like other jazz clubs. And I did some uh, content as much as I don't like that word. That's what it kind of what describes <laughs> it. I did some content for the Lewis Armstrong House Museum a few times and uh, for Nashville Jazz Workshop and a lot of um people across the country and it's just been really uh it's been fun for me and i see a lot of the same people online every week but some new faces all the time and it it feels um, very positive Let me take a quick moment to thank the folks who make the jazz session possible, starting with the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire Chuck at hearchucknow.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Jazz Sesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at The Jazz Session. 
You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and I appreciate it if you do. You can also subscribe to my newsletter, which comes out every two weeks. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Now, back to the show. back to uh to birdsong and uh in in reading about it you said something that really struck me because i i kind of feel the loss of this thing you were talking about which is the idea of regionalism in jazz like how there used to be you know a, a philly sound and you know uh maybe a, a west coast sound and a detroit sound and you could kind of tell some of the musicians grew up in particular places by the way they played and in in talking about this record, uh, you mentioned feeling kind of a, a regional kinship with Charlie Parker, and I was hoping you might say some more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is very true, and I I refer to it as the southwestern sound uh, because I feel like historically, culturally speaking, that's what that part of America was called. And Bird, of course, is from Kansas City, and I'm from Oklahoma, and that's sort of we're not really the South but we're not really the Midwest. Uh, so it was called the Southwest. And now people will think, I think more about like New Mexico is the Southwest. So I, I'm, I, I want to point out that I definitely am speaking about, you know, Kansas City and uh, Oklahoma, not really, uh, not really Texas. Texas is own South, but I just, I, I do feel that way. And all of my favorite players, I shouldn't say all, but a lot, you know, Red Garland, Jay McShann, Charlie Parker are people from this part of the country, and there's some cultural perspective, I think, that comes through their music. Um, a little bit of the Wild West, you know, a little bit of, of, of course, Kansas City, very urban, but also really in the country. <laughs> you know? yeah. And um, I, I feel that way, and I always wanted to respect that tradition, and I always wanted to be able to say, you know, I'm a lineage of Jay McShann, you know this sort of very bluesy, you know, very rhythmically oriented aspect of the music. And I think it's a shame that now we, we have lost that. And I think part of that is because, of course, internet and TV makes everything a little more homogenized, but then also universities and, you know, musicians going to school um, makes for less of a regional perspective. But I still very much feel that. And I was lucky enough uh, about a month ago, I had to go to Oklahoma for some family business, which is weird to travel in this time, but I visited Oklahoma City, just drove around the old Deep Deuce neighborhood, which was the, the black neighborhood where uh, Jimmy Rushing lived and where the famous Slaughter Hall was. Ralph Ellison even grew up there for a short time. And 
just being there, it was it was so great to sort of be able to visit the uh, location of my of my heroes and feel like a real connection to Oklahoma and to the history of jazz that came from there. I didn't know till this very moment that Jimmy Rushing had an Oklahoma connection. Yes, he's from Oklahoma City, um, Deep Deuce, which, as you might imagine, is, is Second Street. <laughs> um, right. there's, a, there's a hill, and the, the church is at the top of the hill. It's still there. And then when you go down the hill, they call that Deep Deuce, the famous club in uh, the early part of the 20th century. And I mean early, like teens you know, and 20s, was called Slaughter Hall, and it's where all the bands came through. Uh, Benny Moten and, um, you know, all the regional bands, Lester Young's family band played there. And Jimmy Rushing and his family ran the pharmacy drugstore caddy corner to the club. So they ran this drugstore pharmacy and they lived on the second floor above it. And uh, that's where he grew up. Now, you have an appreciation for history that is... I'm not going to say it's rare. I think a lot of jazz musicians appreciate the past. I feel like you you seem more viscerally connected to it than a lot of musicians uh, I think of. Like you you seem much more like it is part of your makeup and and DNA than a lot of people that I talk to. It's it's more than just a respect for the tradition. It feels like it's you're almost like a time traveler in some way. And certainly you can disagree with that, but if you don't disagree with it, I'd be curious if you have any ideas where it comes from. Well, I think, you know, my father's that way because when he came to the music, he was a little bit older, like uh, he was in his 20s and he read a lot of books and he wanted to know about the history of the music and he talked to older musicians and learned about it. And so that was one of his passions that he passed on to me. But also, I think it's because I've had the good fortune to know so many older players. And I just was always, I felt, I, it's funny you say like a time traveler, but I always felt that I could relate to them a little bit more. And I, I loved the history of the music and I wanted to be, I wanted to connect with it and be, as I said before, sort of like a direct line from this person. You know, like I learned from this person. I, I, I'm part of that legacy. And that was that was important to me, and one of the greatest things, apart from my trip to Oklahoma, which I love you, but um, a few weeks ago we went into the Louis Armstrong house to record some videos for them. I've been there many times, but this time they're closed, so it's just me and Stephen and the film crew in the house, and just being able to sort of be there and see it privately and imagine Louis there sort of where I am, you know, here I am, I'm making tea at the stove, just like Lewis, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, wow. it was very exciting, you know, to me and as a, a lover of the jazz history. So I, I definitely really am sort of, uh, I don't want to say a nerd, but I'm definitely a nerd for jazz history. <laughs>
Of course, we're living in a time when it's hard to know exactly what the future holds, but to whatever degree you do know, can you tell me about what's coming up for you? Well, we are going to um, continue with our online show on Sundays, live from lockdown. We are also going in to Birdland without an audience. It's just to record a video for them for Christmas, because I love Christmas music. I'm a Christmas record. Uh, Christmas was champion, and we're going to record a 60-minute show, my whole band, at Birdland. And then that same week, Stephen and I have decided after 32 weeks to make a duo record sort of as a souvenir for our Live from Lockdown. And uh, we're getting ready to record that in mid-November, which is pretty soon. And we're just trying to, uh, you know, trying to stay busy and keep a fire in the oven and uh, hope we can get back on the road in 2021. How do people watch Live from Lockdown? You can go to my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash champion Fulton. Um, you don't need a Facebook account to watch it, but you need one to comment. And you can also watch it on YouTube, which is youtube.com slash champion Fulton. And same thing there. You don't have to have an account to watch it there. And it's just every Sunday at five o'clock. And we have themes typically. Um, this week we celebrated Lou Donaldson because he had his 94th birthday on November 1st. Um, and we do other themes like the music of Dinah Washington, the music of George and Ira Gershwin, uh, the music of Charlie Parker. And then uh, every now and then we do a request show. So it's, it's pretty fun. You should watch it. My guest uh, for the third time has been Champion Fulton. If you go to the jazzsession.com and click on archive, you can hear a uh, past uh, interviews with champion and actually if you are a member you can go in the uh, members archive at patreon.com slash the jazz session and there's a bonus episode with uh, champion where she talks about one of her favorite records and then we also talk a little bit about uh, the album that she put out uh, last year with uh, Corey weeds champion it's always such a pleasure to talk to you i really really do love the new album birdsong i'm really glad you took the time to do it and i wish you uh, all the best and hope that you and all the rest of us are back out in the world soon Thank you so much, Jason. Definitely. Here's here's for good things coming soon. Thanks to this week's guest, Champion Fulton. If you value what you just heard, become a member for five or ten dollars a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the jazz session. Bye. Bye. Bye.